famous, world famous strawberry pie. So that's what that is. Okay. Um, uh, for those who are watching online on this camera, we got two, we always got two cameras going in the church. We got the back one, and then we got this one. This one right here is kind of a backup to that one in case that one's not working because of our internet situation. I know Nancy O is watching on this one, and the camera fell twice. So. Uh, no, Mount Tabor's not having an earthquake, Nancy. It's just that the camera fell twice. So that's what's <laughs> happening there. Okay, so um, um, the, who was this past week the most popular person in the last two weeks that could show up to your house? Any idea? Jack Frost. Jack Frost who? <laughs> Joe Flacco. Joe the Brown? I don't know. I'm a Colts fan. Okay. I thought you. I thought you said. Uh, I thought you said Joe Hart, and that was pretty close to what I was looking at, because it was the Mercer, the Mercer Landmark uh, propane guy, right? When he shows up, well, you didn't like the, the cost of it, but uh, you, when you needed it, they were there, right? So uh, anyway, that was about as bad as the dicey joke that uh, Ben gave up here. No, it's worse. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> turn your Bibles to, uh, we're going to primarily just take your Bibles, turn to Romans, Romans chapter 5. We are going to mention uh, Luke chapter 10 and Philippians chapter 3, but primarily we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, so, so look at that right there. What we're doing is, is we're kind of looking at how can we grow in our relationship with God? Because I think every one of us really desires uh, to have an, an intimate relationship with God because that's what God made us. He made us to be spiritual beings. He made us to be beings that uh, have a spiritual side to them. That's what separates us from the animal world. Uh, I actually, when I was in college, I actually had a, 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 uh, a psychologist uh, that came to college and started talking to us. And he was a secular psychologist, which essentially saying is he was not... Uh, coming from the Christian point of view. And he kept talking about the spiritual side of humanity. The spiritual side, and I went, what? I finally raised my hand, and I said, I have a question. He goes, what is it? I said, what do you mean the spiritual side of humanity? And this is what he said. There is something unique and different about human beings that separate us from the animal world. And my, I'm just going, well, duh! You know, I didn't say that to him. But I'm sitting there going, we are made as spiritual beings. We are different we are than, than the animal world. And so, as a result of that, God has implanted in us the desire to be close to him. Um, I know of no other animal that there might be out there that tries to worship something. Do you? I can't think of any. Now, the Bible does say eventually every knee shall bow on heaven and earth, but, uh, but any animal that is out here that is constantly worshiping like we do. And that's because God has implanted in us that spiritual desire. And so part of that spiritual desire is intimacy. We as human beings have that real strong desire for intimacy. It might be uh, as human beings, thus you have marriage. We have that desire for that. Um, and also in the spiritual realm, we have that desire for intimacy with God. Um, how do we know that? Go to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Adam and Eve were in the garden. 
and God had a relationship with him. It basically said he was walking in the garden with them. So that's actually intimacy. And so humanity, because we have that in us, we have strived throughout the millennia to, um, uh, to get back on that relationship with God. And we've developed some really weird ways of doing this. Now, here's a big difference between Christianity and most, if not all, other religions. Ready? All other religions look at God as being an angry God, and you have to do this to get back in a relationship with God and to appease his anger and bitterness, or his anger, anger towards our sin. Christianity says, yes, God can be angry, but he's angry because he is an eternal father, and just as men, you can be angry at your kids because of what the kids do. I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with being angry at your kids for some of the crazy things they do. It just depends on what you do about it. But he, is, he can be angry at this because of our sin. However, there is nothing that we can do to appease God and to appease that anger. Therefore, God's the one that provided the way, and that was through Jesus Christ. And so, where other religions are, we are appeasing God. God is essentially, in Christianity, saying, you can do nothing to appease me, but I'm going to send Jesus, because I love you so much, to pay the price for your sin. See the difference? And so, we have that strong desire to develop intimacy with God. So therefore, we have our first scripture passage, which is Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul is saying, I want to know Christ. I Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his suffering and become like him in death. Now, as human beings, we, we in Western church, we like the first half of this verse. We like the first half because I want to know Christ. Who doesn't want to know God? Anybody here doesn't want to know God? Does anybody here not want to know that God loves you, that God cares about you, that, that God is, uh, uh, wants an intimate relationship with you? Who doesn't want to know that? Who, who here does not want to know that you are so valuable in the eyes of God that he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die for you? If you were the only one on this earth, he still would have came and died for you. Isn't that amazing to think about? And so we want to know Christ. We want to know his power. We want to know his resurrection. This is the other part we don't like what Paul said. To participate in his suffering? Become like him in death? See, that's where the Western church has forgotten. That Christianity is a religion of suffering. What? We'll get to it. We'll get to it. But the Western church has changed a lot of this in the thinking, if you come to Christ, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You might. But most of the world, they suffer because of the cause of Christ. And we'll explain this a little, a little later. So the question is, is how do we develop an intimate relationship with God? And the answer is very simple. We must be born again. Or, and or, we must be a true Christian. See, in order to develop that relationship with God, the first, the foundation is what is your relationship with God like? Because 
if, if you have the foundation other than Christ, then you're going to get into how do we appease God. And then you might get to the extreme of the uh, Aztecs and the Alcas, where you know, they would do human sacrifices in order to appease God. Or maybe even Baal worship. In order to appease Baal, we need to take our newborn, our firstborn child, and throw him into the fire. We, we come up with all these weird ideas instead of the greatest idea, which is God became man, spent time with us, showed us his love, taught us about God's kingdom, righted that which humanity had done wrong, and then died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So therefore, that's the foundation. The foundation of what we hold on to. So, let's, let's back up just a little bit. And let's get into the book of Romans. And what we want to do is we're going to go to Romans chapter 5, verse 10. And we're going to lay the foundation as to why Christ did what we did. And then we're going to go into what the benefits, the true spiritual benefits are of being a Christian. So we're going to get to all that today. So, let's get to the first point. The first point is this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says... Because he's, he's laying the groundwork to what our faith is all about. For if, while we were God's enemies. So what Paul is saying is that we, in our natural state, are enemies with God. Now what do I mean by that? Well, the Greek word for enemies is ekrothos. Ekros, which is enemies. It refers to two nations at war with each other. Israel and Hamas. Or... Uh, uh, Russia and the Ukraine, Hitler and France, United States and Japan, two nations that are opposed to each other and are at war with each other. So Paul says this is what is at war with God. There are three, in the early church, there were three uh, pillars or three, at, three areas where we were at war with God. Number one was selfishness. Okay? It's all about me. Life is all about me. I was, I was thinking about this, this, even yesterday I went to Walmart and, and spent time in Walmart. Boy, Walmart was a zoo yesterday. Anybody go to Walmart yesterday? Oh, you were probably the problem. <laughs> so was I. Um, so it was a zoo yesterday. And I don't know why I just started talking about this whole pronoun thing where people are standing up saying, you will address me this way. You will address me by this pronoun. I'm demanding that you address me this way. And I, I just came to the conclusion, the reason why people demand that is because they want to be the God of their own life, and they want you to recognize that. No. You will address me this way. So about, uh, about six, six months ago, seven months ago, I actually had that hit me sometimes. A kid came up to me and said, um, hi, hi, Pastor, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. Oh, yeah, I think I'm okay. You know, we kind of talked about, oh, this is my friend here. He, he refers to his pronouns as they, them, or whatever it was. And I was so shocked because I've never had that hit me before. And I, I went away, and I go, okay, and I went away, and I'm thinking, I, I've come up with this conclusion. The next time somebody says this to me, I'm going to look at it, and I'm going to say, I will address you by the pronouns you want to be addressed by, but first, you must address me as exalted, holy one, and bow down to me. And they go, I'm not going to do that. 
Because you're not God. No, and you're not who you say you are either. It all boils down to we want to be God of our own life and we want everybody to worship us. And it just isn't in the pronoun thing. It's throughout life. That's the battle. The battle is self. The battle is self where, where uh, we're, we're constantly yielding ourselves to Christ. And we're constantly yielding ourselves to what Scripture says. And when we say, I am not going to yield myself to Scripture, we are essentially saying, I'm God of my own life. And then we try to justify everything. I'll explain this a little bit later. So the first one is flesh. The second one is, I've got to get back to you because I can't see. The second one is the world. Well, the world is constantly telling us what to be and how to act. And, and, and there, are, there are denominations who are struggling with that very issue right now. How much of the world do we reflect into the church? Well, the answer is very simple. None. The Bible tells us how we are to and what we are to do. We follow what scriptures say. And if the world says you're to go right, then we're going to follow what the scriptures say. If they say go left, we're going to follow what the scriptures say. We are not to reflect the world. And so the world is constantly saying, well, if you, if, you, if you would only compromise in this area, church, then we're going to like you. What I have found out, they ain't going to like us anyway. And so that's the next one, is the world. We are called to be what the word is, holy. And we'll, we're eventually going to talk about that in a few months, probably. But the word is holy. We are called to be holy, where we are different. We are unique. The Apostle Paul says we are aliens. We are odd. Well, good. Thirdly is this, the devil. So this is at, is at war with God. The world, our flesh, and the devil. And, and we'll, eventually we'll, we'll get into him a little bit as well. So we are at war with him. As two competing factions are going at each other. And we're not talking about a friendly competition when Parkway plays uh, St. Henry in football. What we're talking about is they are enemies with each other. So that's what it is. Uh, an example of that in the human way would be in scriptures with a man named Pilate and Herod. Do you know those two actually hated each other? Pilate and Herod? But something brought them together. Here's this word. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So Herod and Pilate did not like each other until Jesus came onto the, on, onto the scene. And the day that they crucified Jesus, it says that Pilate and Herod became friends at that point. Isn't that sad? So a peace treaty had actually been formed uh, between God and man. And that came through Jesus Christ. And so he offered what is called reconciliation. So let's get to the uh, next part of Romans chapter 5 verse 10. We are reconciled to him through the death of his son. The Greek word is katale, katalage, and that is the word reconcile. It means adjustment of difference, reconcile, or restore into favor. And so we are alienated by God, uh, from God because of our own sinfulness, and yet God sent Jesus to reconcile us back to him so that we can be on a right relationship with him. 
So the best way to describe it is you have these, uh, you have a, a friend and, and you've alienated, some, something came about where you're alienated and finally one comes and says, I'm sorry, and they come back together. Okay, that's reconciliation. Uh, spouses that way. The, when, when a reconciliation can't happen with the spouses, that's, it ends up with what's called divorce. Here's a story of a, of a lady, her name is Elizabeth Barrett. She married a Browning, so she became Elizabeth Browning. A childhood accident caused Elizabeth Barrett Browning to lead a life of semi-invalidism. Before she married Robert Browning in 1846. There's more to the story. You see, in her youth, Elizabeth had been watched over by a tyrannical father. When she and Robert were married, their wedding was held in secret because of their father's disapproval. After the wedding, the Brownings sailed to Italy, where they lived the rest of their lives. But even though her parents had disowned her, Elizabeth never gave up on that relationship. Almost weekly, she wrote letters. But notice, none, no letter, letters were returned. After 10 years, she received a large box in the mail, and it was every one of her letters unopened. Today, those letters are among the most beautiful in classical English literature. Had her parents only read a few of them, their, their relationship with Elizabeth might have been restored. What are her poems? Let me read one to you. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and the breadth of height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight. For the ends of being and the ideal grace, I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet needs by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with a passion put to use. In my old griefs and with my childhood faith, I love thee with love I seem to lose. With my lost saint, I love thee with, the, with breath, smiles and tears all my life. And if God chose, I would but love thee better after death. Elizabeth Barrett offered reconciliations, but her parents never took it. Sad, sad, sad. Jesus and God offers reconciliation to us, but yet it's up to us to take it. Many times we're like her parents who take the, the letters of God found in the scriptures and we put them in a box and we say, here God, it's back to you. Or we might say, I'm part of his family, but yet we don't want to really accept the reconciliation because that means there's responsibilities on our part. We tend to send the love letters back to God. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 this is the, the last section of it says how much more have been reconciled shall we be saved through this life? How much more that's what I like about that. How much more? What, what Paul is referring to is you, 
become saved, you become a Christian, these are the benefits. Not what we think the benefits are. We think the benefits are being uh, health, wealth, and being wise. The benefits are more than that. And so Paul says, in the first section of Romans chapter 5, he says this. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what, he, what does he offer? He offers us justification. The word justification means just as if we had not sinned. We are put back on the right relationship with God that Adam and Eve destroyed in the garden. It is as if we are walking through life with God by our side. And we have the ability to have God by our side because we have what's called the Holy Spirit. And so we have now have peace with God. We don't need to run around and do human sacrifices. We don't need to, need to do weird things. We have peace with God, not based upon anything that we have done. We have peace with God based upon what Jesus has done. And then in verse 2 it says, Through whom we have gained access by faith to his grace, in which we now stand, and we boast in hope of the glory of God. So that word grace is there, and I must have forgot to put a slide in. That word grace. Grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve his favor, but he gives us favor. An example of that would be, imagine if you were in World War II, and you were walking through the jungles of, of uh, Guam. Okay, And you've come upon a Japanese soldier that's suffering from malnutrition, needs water, and is wounded. Grace says, you don't deserve this because you're my enemy, but yet I'm going to kneel down and I'm going to take care of you anyway. So you as an American soldier, kneel down, give them food, give them water, and, mind, and, and mend their wounds. That's grace. And that's what we're given, because we were enemies of God, and yet God came and justified us, and because he justified us, we now experience his grace, which means we don't deserve it, but he gives it to us anyway because he loves us. Not so, but we also glory in our suffering, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. So we rejoice in our testing. Because you're going to be tested in your faith. And there's a reason for your testing. One is we live in a world that like God. Secondly is we have a devil that's against us. And thirdly, we're at war with our flesh. But we're going to be tested. And the reason why we're going to be tested is so that we can develop what's called perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character hope. Okay. Who all has a treadmill at home? Anybody got a treadmill? Do you use it? Okay. Okay. You're my runner. Okay. You're my runner. Okay. So you get on that treadmill and you're on the way. I, when I run, I get this, I do this grunt. It's, it's just a timing grunt. I do it. That's why I run by myself. You'll never hear a marathon because everybody thinks I'm going to be dying. Okay. So running on the treadmill. And do, let's say, 10 miles in treadmill. Okay, you get off the treadmill, and then you decide you're going to run the, the paths of, from uh, Salina down to Coldwater and back. And you start running. What's the problem? You've been running all this time, and there was no resistance. And so then you get off, and then you run a real 
on the, on, and, and you're just dying. Oh, what did I do? I ran 10 miles, but there was no resistance. You didn't grow in your strength. And that's why God allows resistance to come to us because it produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, uh, and character hope. This is one area that really concerns me about the way we're going in our society, where we take away all the consequences from our children and, and we make it to the point where they don't have any resistance against them. It's because eventually they're going to get out of the home and they're going to find, they're going to be like the kid on treadmill. And then they get in the real world, it's like, what's going on? You've got to allow your kids to have that resistance. And the same thing in our spiritual walk. You grow in your walk with the Lord and he will allow resistance to come about for the testing so that we'll become stronger in our faith. You need some of these Christians who are suffering in the third world country in, in the um, uh, you know in North Korea or China and you their strong faith when you see the videos of, of them receiving the scriptures for the first time and they're putting the scriptures on their uh, their hearts this way and they're so thankful it's because they have grown in their strength and their perseverance and in their faith so just because you're going through a difficult time, or even you're going through a time of even doubting your faith, allow it to transform you into a very strong, a stronger Christian. In, in, in the uh, church fathers' times, in, the, in like 1,000, 500 to 1,000, they, it was called the desert periods, where you go through these periods of, is there a God? I don't Oh, I, where are you? You're so far. And they, they would wrestle with it for years. And then finally, they'd come to a victory. And thus you have people like St. Anthony. The miracle of St. Anthony was that he went into the monastery. 20 years went by and he came out of the monastery and he said he looked no different. I look at just my pictures of me being here six years and I go, holy smokes, what happened to that guy? Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been born out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So we have what's called the Holy Spirit. God's love is poured out. And uh, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, Christ died for us. So we have these benefits. We have the Holy Spirit on our side. We know that God loves us. God loves every one of you. God, the scripture is very specific about that. And he has given us that to us because of his love. And also as a result, we've been saved from the wrath of God. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? You're not going to experience God's wrath. Isn't that great to know? I'm talking about his big wrath, not little wrath. I mean, we're still in the, in the world and we're going to deal with stuff, but we don't have to worry about that. And we can have joy in God, verse 11. Let's go. For while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? 
Not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received reconciliation. So we have joy in God, and we boast about him. Remember when you first got married? Boast about each other? See what I got? Or when the baby was first born? When, when, when my kids were first born, it was when a Lion King came out. You remember that? Okay, I wanted to do that with my son. Oh, I got my son! You oh, wanted to boast about it. Same thing with God. Do you know you are saved? God loves you. God did, I mean, all these benefits that we have. Nothing about healthy, wealthy, and wise. It is all these benefits that we have in Christ Jesus. So the question now raises is this. Are you saved? Salvation is, is the groundwork for an intimate relationship with God. Without salvation, one can be fighting a losing battle trying to obtain this connection with God. So the question is, are you saved? So there's three, three answers down there. Yes, no, I don't know. So for those who are yes, I'm sitting here going, look at all the benefits you have. So those who say no, I say, look at all the benefits you don't have. And, and also look at that last verse. And those who don't know, I, I would say, you know, you can know. But I've prayed the prayer over and over and over. And over. I've been to church camp and all this other stuff. And I would say, are you reading God's word? Is there sin in your life that produces that doubt? There's so much I can talk about. And maybe, maybe I never prayed. Ask God in my life. There's a story about Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt uh, went up, uh, went to Cuba and fought in the Spanish American War. And uh, Theodore Roosevelt went up to the Red Cross that was in Cuba and he asked them for some food. You know, I wanted to buy some food for my sick and my wounded soldiers. And yet the lady who was in charge of the Red Cross refused to sell him anything. And Roosevelt was perplexed. His men needed help, and he was preparing to pay out of his own funds. And, and when he asked somebody why he could not buy supplies, he was told, Colonel, all you have to do is ask for it. And a smile broke over Roosevelt's face, and now he understood. Provisions were not for sale. All they had to do was freely ask. Salvation is not for sale. All you have to do is ask. In the book of Romans, there's what's called the Roman Road, and uh, there's basically four parts of the Roman Road found in the book of Romans, the, the way to salvation. Number one is every human is a sinner. We have to come to that point where we understand that. So what we do in our society today, so you're not a sinner, is we re now redefine what sin is. You can redefine sin all you want, but every one of us is born in sin, and every one is a sinner. Number two is, God's penalty for sin is death. You can use the word death, so you don't have to say the word hell. Number three is, in God's great love, God has made the provision for his salvation for sinners, and that was Jesus Christ. Isn't that great to know? 
God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, who created a star that was so big that one million of our own sons could fit in there. He created that, that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. Oh, I tell you, that should just put goose pimples on you. And each person must put his trust in Jesus Christ as God's provision for salvation. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. That's neat to know. That God gives us that promise. So we're going to close off the service right now with this question. Yes? No? I don't know. If the answer is no, the elders are going to be up here. And they'll be in each corner and you can go seek them they can pray for you uh if it's i don't know i would say the same thing go to the elders and they will pray with you if you if you don't want to talk to them about you just say hey can we talk after service we got plenty of room for you to go in. if you're female you want to talk to a female we have uh, female elders that uh, can female elders <laughs> we have the wives of the elders that can come and pray with you as well i know polly loves to pray that prayer with people so we want to let you know that it's here for you for you to come and to pray. Maybe it's, let's throw this in here too, because I know this is a weird day. Maybe it's, I'm just hurting from this past week. And I know some of our youth are. Feel free to come to an elder and pray with that elder. If, you, if you're a female and you want somebody, if you want Polly to pray, I can get her up. But I want to let you know that the, the altar is open for any of you to come and to pray for whatever reason you want to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what your word has taught us today. And let us hold fast and firm to the fact that there are so much benefits to giving our life to you. And Lord, we don't have to fight anymore. We can yield. We can surrender. We can uh, raise the, the white flag and say, God, I'm done. I want to follow you in every area. Lord, may it be so. Help us, Lord, in those areas. We thank you and praise you and honor you. It's in Jesus' name.